The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is traveling, Travis Yuley. Trav, tell the people where you're joining us from tonight. I am joining from uh, lovely South Bend, Indiana, home oh. of the Fighting Irish. Oh, you're uh, <laughs> you're right at home among your people, right? Yeah, I, I, that that Golden Dome, uh, <laughs> literally the only nice thing in this city. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> It uh it it's the uh, it's the first episode of the new year for us and it's a big one. The uh, the Browns have their new head coach. We found out around lunchtime today that uh, Freddie Kitchens has gotten the nod and joining us to talk about it our pal Craig Lindell from uh, waitingfornextyear.com. Craig, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm going to start off by telling you guys and it's it's the truth. I'm not just buttering you guys up. I think I'm the biggest fan of the Nail podcast. I listen to every episode. Um, except I think there were a couple wrestling ones I skipped. Other than that, I'm the biggest fan of your podcast. All right. We've got a fan, Trev. It feels good. I like that. Yeah, you're the biggest fan, also the smallest fan. <laughs> you are the fan. That's, we'll take it. All right. Well, Craig, uh, I will start us off with this. If I had told you in August that our running backs coach would be the people's choice to be the Browns' new head coach by January and that he would end up getting the job, what would you have thought? I would have thought that the the Haslam experience was on to a whole new branch of the disaster tree. Here we are. Um, should, should we have known that Freddie Kitchens was held in higher regard by the Browns than most position coaches are by their teams? when he got to call the plays in the final preseason game, or am I retconning things here? Well, let's be honest. Uh, this might, this very well might be an utter disaster. You and I and Travis, no offense to any of us. We have no way of knowing whether this is a good move or a bad move or, or anything else. It, I mean, for you and I to sit here and try and delineate between Freddie kitchens, Greg Williams, um, something called an Eberflus, um, we just, we have no idea. We have no actual discernible idea. I, it feels pretty good right now, but the risk factor also seems like this, this could end badly. The risk factor factor does seem high. Trav, this reminds me that after we get done recording here, I need to go into the archives and scrub everything from uh, when Hugh Jackson got hired a couple years ago. So yeah, not, a, not our best. Uh, we're not exactly <laughs> prognosticators, but that might be as optimistic as we've been, and clearly that was not with with, with good reason. But it's 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 funny, Greg, because your take is kind of exactly what I said to Tom earlier. And I, as I was following on um, social media and everything, it seemed like people were going crazy and were ecstatic, like this is a home run or something. When if we're all being honest, we have no idea like what kind of coach Freddie Kitchens actually is. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm neither very high nor very low on it. I guess I'm I'm glad that it's not one of these um, sort of retread 
coaches that have, you know, bounced around from job to job and been underwhelming for the last several years, and we're just hiring them because they've been a head coach before. So I guess I'm refreshed from that standpoint. But beyond that, I don't know that we have a whole lot, uh, a whole lot of idea what we should expect, right? No, I, I, and the one thing I was going to say, and and I don't know, maybe I'm going to sound a little negative here too, even though I think Freddie was the guy that I wanted to get the job. But, you know, I mean, there, there's no doubt in the second half of the season when he got a chance to be the offensive coordinator, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, but being an offensive coordinator and being a head coach require different skill sets. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, there's a lot more to it than calling plays. And he obviously came up with some very creative game plans. He had buy-in from, you know, the guys on the offense. And, you know, we've heard a lot of great stories coming out. But, you know, I, I don't know what kind of a game manager he's going to be in terms of, you know, managing your timeouts, knowing when to challenge, understanding rules, you know, not uh, signaling that there's still two seconds left when somebody kicks a field goal with two seconds left in overtime. Um you know, there's, and not to say that he won't be great at that stuff, but you know, that that's still a huge unknown. And I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out once uh, things get rolling here in 2019. Hey Tom, I don't want to filibuster the whole podcast, but there are two things that kind of stick out to me. And it's number one, did, did we not hear that one of the biggest reasons for the turnaround was Greg Williams stepping in and uh, holding coaches accountable and changing the culture of practice? And then number two, didn't we also hear that the players themselves kind of looked looked each other, looked, looked at themselves and looked at, at themselves in the mirror and decided, you know what, we're, we're not going to go out like this. Um, and they took control. Um, how much of it had to do with Freddie Kitchens himself? it's just really hard from the outside looking in to say that that's the case. And we might just be kind of talking ourselves into it because in, in the end, we are Browns fans. We want them to do well. well. I think that's a great point. And it actually kind of leads me in the direction of asking, did Greg Williams kind of get jobbed here? Or was this just kind of to be expected when you take on the interim head coaching position and, you know, you're 60 plus years old and you're at the juncture of his career that he's at right now? Well, I'll go first and I, I won't go long so Travis can go. But I was I was anybody else surprised at just how many coaches turned over after Freddie Kitchens was named the uh, head coach today? Because I kind of assumed that the in, in the name of continuity, we were going to get a little bit more continuity. They even fired special teams intern Josh Cribbs, right? Did they? I Did didn't see. Jeff, yeah, well, I don't know if he was ever listed like as an official assistant or anything to begin with, but the rumor is he's out. Yeah. Like he pretty much cleaned house immediately. I'm with you, Craig. I was a little surprised that he didn't keep, you know, there has to be a few position guys that he thought did a decent job and he could keep around. Right. And it seems like it's a complete, complete overhaul. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little surprised by the degree in the immediacy of the turnover uh, with the coaching staff. Um, that actually kind of leads me to another thing I was thinking about this. You know, I saw some reports that, you know, before this news broke that, you know, this could drag out for weeks. And I just didn't really understand that. I mean, they fired Hugh in the middle of the season so that they could get a jump on this process. 
you know, and we know they interviewed at least seven candidates. They narrowed it down to two finalists. Neither one of those finalists were on active playoff teams. And especially once Mike McCarthy and Josh McDaniels took themselves out of the running, like what was really left that was going to hold this process up? I mean, I think it would be definitely in their best interest to get something done. You know, I understand you don't want to rush it, but at the same time, you know, the clock's ticking. And, you know, there were eight head coaching openings around the league and six of them have already been filled, which for this time of the year, that's that seems extremely fast, right? Yeah, but it also assumes that, I mean, we can't assume that there were no no guys on, you know, playoff teams that they were interested in. Um, I assumed that that was sort of why people thought it would take a while. And there were openings to interview a lot of those guys still. Um, like, I, I heard Dave Tobe, and they could have interviewed him last week since it wasn't a game week for the Chiefs and things like that. Um, same with Josh McDaniels, who it just seems like, I don't know, it seems like at the beginning of the offseason, everybody was saying, um, maybe like they over completely overblew what happened with him last year with the Colts. Um, but I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. Like his name popped up, like connected to every job, it seems like. And then no one really seemed to have any actual legit interest in him. Um, and, and, and that's sort of a, a side note completely, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I didn't know why it was going to be stretched out so long. The only real reason I thought was maybe they were interested in one of these guys. It was tied to a playoff team who didn't want to interview while their team was still uh, still in the game. Craig, how would you feel about the timeline of this whole thing? You know, I, I, like every other part of the process, it just feels like I don't, I don't really know. I don't have enough information. It's like when the NFL draft gets to the fifth round. I might as well not watch because unless you're Daniel Jeremiah, you don't, you don't really have a feel for these guys. You probably didn't watch any of their games. And like, I don't, unless you were a former head coach in the NFL and I watched the team while you were that coach, I don't have a real feel for any of these guys. Like, and I think it's really almost impossible to extrapolate like how well a coordinator did in the mix underneath a head coach. Uh, um, and certainly, as we've seen, following the, the quote-unquote coaching trees over the years has, has proved to, to be worth very, very little. Um, I, I guess it, it feels a little bit soon, except with who they picked. You know, if they if they interviewed five, six guys, however many it was, plus Kitchens, and Kitchens was the guy in hand and they didn't want to lose him, um, I guess the timeline makes sense from, from the other perspective though, it does. I, I think a critic could say that they didn't turn over every stone possible. Does it concern either of you guys that kitchens was pretty clearly in demand for offensive coordinator jobs elsewhere and that, you know, the Browns were able to block that, but we never heard anything about him being in the mix for any other head coaching jobs other than the Browns? Um, I don't know that it really concerns me. I think, I think his, his, um, oh, his resume is so small as it, as it is just as a coordinator that I wouldn't expect other teams to be too interested in him. I think the, the Browns have, you know, more familiarity with him, um, even as you know, second a guy, second guy on the ladder, right? So they're maybe in a little more position to 
to determine whether he even merits an interview. And they haven't, they have way more um, knowledge of him and more experience with him than anybody else would. So I just assume it's that they're more familiar with him. And I wouldn't, if, if he wasn't with, if he did what he did anywhere else, uh, I would have expected only that team to be interested in him. I wouldn't have expected the Browns to go look at him if he were, say, I don't know. Well, Stefanski's probably a good example because he was – how long was he a uh, coordinator in Minnesota? Not very long, right? I think just this year. And I think he was named after they fired uh, – what's his face? Filippo. Yeah. So he had about as much experience as, as Kitchens did. And yeah, I think Stefanski only was the – but... I think Stefanski was only the OC in Minnesota for like their last three games or something. It was really – uh, an odd time for uh, Filippo to get the uh, the heave ho, but I I do find it a little bit curious because like really what's the barrier to to interviewing Freddie Kitchens for a head coaching job? Like you, if you're looking for a head coach, you're not limited in the number of interviews you can do. Why not? Why not? I, I guess. I mean, it, it makes sense because he was an interim offensive coordinator for what eight nine weeks, whatever it was, after Todd Haley was let go the natural progression would be to interview him for uh, coordinator jobs. But I, I don't know. Everybody's, everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay. Um, I, I guess it, maybe if the process had gone, had been drawn out longer, somebody would have gotten to him in their head coaching interview process. I don't know. Was it Colin Cowherd? Who... Also, what's the, like, what's the, what's the really quick, what's to stop a team from just saying, yeah, we want to interview for your head coach. Yeah, I don't and know. And then maybe they're actually more interested in him as an OC. You know, oh, they absolutely. get a little bit of FaceTime with him and they can learn more about him. I 100% think that was what the Browns were doing with some of the head coaching interviews that they had with guys from outside the organization. I I, I think that was totally part of it and stockpiling and thinking, you know, you know, filling up your list of potential, you know, coaching staff people. Um, and, and a smart the, a smart team would would interview those guys just for intel, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, bring up like the Rooney Rule, uh, it, you know, and think it's kind of a little bit questionable that certain coaches are, you know, maybe getting interviewed and teams aren't really seriously thinking about them. And it's like that's not the only reason they do that. I mean, they like like you said, Craig. I mean it could be for Intel on, you know, teams within your division or your conference or whatever, or, you know, if they're thinking two or three steps down the road, if they need to be filling jobs on the staff, uh, you know, that's, that's something is that could be uh, coming into it as well. You know, the yeah, one thing, and the, the Browns didn't interview McDaniels, but they, they did interview the defensive coordinator from the Patriots. Why wouldn't you want to get a look behind the curtain of new England? Exactly. You know, the, the one thing I was kind of surprised by, you know, Freddie Kitchens was not somebody I think any of us had really heard of uh, before, you know, he had a couple of lines on hard knocks and, you know, kind of put himself on the map with that that Lions preseason game, I guess. Um, but I didn't realize just how long he's been around. Like he was a, a graduate assistant for Nick Saban at LSU. He worked under Bill Parcells with the Cowboys. He was with the Cardinals for 11 years at, at you know, coaching different positions. So um, he's, he's not, I mean, he, he might not be a, a household name for most of the, you know, most NFL fans, but he's been around quite a bit. 
he's almost. But how many non like coordinators do you really know? Like how many <laughs> position coaches can you name throughout the league? You know what uh, I mean? That's sort of unless they have a great goes back agent, to our original many. point, though. Right. That sort of goes back to our original point, though. Like we don't really know what we're getting. We could be getting, you know, the next Sean McVay. We could be getting, you know, a guy we're going to have to replace in two years. We don't actually know. Um, I think from an attitude standpoint and sort of the way he's handled interviews and the way he stood up for Baker with the whole Hugh thing and all of that, he definitely knows like how to get the fans on his side. And I think that's probably the source of, of everybody's excitement and why everybody seems so optimistic about it. Um, but beyond that, we don't, we don't really know a whole lot we're getting. And I don't know that we would have outside of, you know, some of those high profile OCs, even if we went with Stefanski or uh, Eberflus, the guy from Indianapolis who caught a bunch of, you know, he was, seemed like his name popped up overnight um, after their game against Houston. Um, no one actually knows what he is <laughs> like outside of Indianapolis. We know that in the, uh, the Colts defense got good this year, but we don't know if that makes him a good head coach or not. Like we're, we're guessing for the most part with this and that's, it's, it's good to be excited. And I think it, it's a little different though, from like players, we seem to get really excited when a player does well, we assume that that's going to last for a long time. Um, head coach is just, it's a, just like a different, completely different thing altogether because it's, it's, it's a new job. It's not a job he has any experience doing. It's a completely different approach he's going to have to take. Um, I think some of the, the way that he's handled things as a coordinator isn't the way that you handle them. And unfortunately, this is sort of what, and now that I'm saying it, I hate myself because I sound like Hugh when he was sitting at that table telling the coaches <laughs> why the players don't need to practice. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I mean, it, it's a completely different job and, and we'll, I'm, I guess I'm excited. I'm optimistic about it. I have to assume because, quite frankly, John Dorsey's had uh, used really good judgment so far. So I think we're all sort of just kind of trusting him right now, right? It's about the players. It's all about the players. It makes everything else feel less like the margin for error is a lot wider. And so the hiring of Freddie Kitchens, if Deshaun Kaiser and Corey Coleman and Kenny Britt are still here, you know, looks like a disaster because there's no way they have the 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 final stretch of season with Freddie Kitchens and Greg Williams that they had once. You know, with with Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, and and that crew. So I mean, it's it's all circumstance too. Like we don't we don't have to relitigate Hugh Jackson. He's not a good coach, but guess what? Like he wouldn't have gone one in fifteen and zero in sixteen with if his first year had been with Baker Mayfield, like it, it's so much about the players. We probably overrate the the whole coaching thing to a certain extent. And we've been overly obsessed with it for the longest time because the Browns never had a quarterback, never had enough players like Pat Shermer's a disaster. Yes, he is. But how well was anybody going to do with Brandon Whedon and Mike Pettin flamed out. Um, but with an offensive coordinator and Brian Hoyer playing, okay, we didn't hate him. Like it's about the players and we probably overrate and over talk about the coaching to a certain extent. And to that point, we went five and two to finish the season. I think it was, is that right? I'm five and three. Sounds crazy. Five and three. Okay. Yeah. Say it out loud. It still sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, we finished five and three, and it, but if we're being honest, Greg Williams 
made some very questionable head coaching decisions. And, and there's a couple games we can point to where he, they maybe won in spite of those. Um, so to your point, Craig, yeah, you're probably right. If guys make plays, the coach looks really good. If the guys don't make plays, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not being coached well. It just means they're not doing their job well. And nobody's um, going to look good with Cody Kessler. Right, right. I mean, I trusted you with, with Cody Kessler, and that was my mistake. <laughs> yeah, Jacksonville learned a hard lesson. Way, isn't he? What's that? Is it, Jack- is it Jacksonville that he's with now? Yeah, yeah. He he briefly replaced Blake Bortles, and that went about as well as you would have ex- assumed it went. And yeah, <laughs> my goodness. If, if Nathan Peterman can get a job, then. <sighs> So let's let's Although, talk about that though, because isn't that the biggest news of the day? Is not only is Freddie Kitchens the new coach, but he's gonna he's gonna answer to Dorsey as opposed to answering to Haslam. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Um, why did it take us so long to have an organizational structure work that way? Because that has never been the case since Jimmy Haslam has owned the Browns, right? Um, well, when he took over, it was Shermer answering to Holmgren, and then immediately he brought in Banner and Lombardi, and I believe the coaches res- were answering to Banner. Okay. Maybe this, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about this, I think this. this... But I don't think I don't think Petten answered to Farmer. Right. I was going to say I think that was when the this whole thing flipped was when they did the restructuring where they kept Ray Farmer and and made him the GM and Petten, that the coach, and that was when everybody started reporting directly to Jimmy Haslam. We do a lot of mental gymnastics just to recreate Brown's history. <laughs> oh, they give you so much to work with. Remember. <laughs> I, I, I had to like work to think through all of the coaches that the Browns have had since 99. It it's, it's an absurd amount, but I'm sure we. I'm sure we heard it today. What number is? What number is Kitchens? He'll be the ninth full-time head coach and eleventh overall because okay. Greg Williams was There's an interim. And interim guys Terry in Rubisky was the other interim. Oh, Terry. Who's Rubisky for? He he finished out the year that Butch, Butch Davis quit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jeez, Butch, <laughs> Butch Davis and Terry Rubisky. There's a blast from the past. It's something oh, man. else, man. So, all right. So, so one to ten. How do you guys feel right now? Ten being ecstatic. One being, I, I suppose. I assume nobody's a one. But how are we all feeling? I'm gonna go first. I'll go seven. Um, I'm not willing to go ten. I think this this might be fine. It feels a little bit too convenient. I'm nervous about the amount of turnover. And historically, I've been very, very consistent about hating the idea of head coaches calling their own plays. So until I hear otherwise, I'm nervous that Freddie Kitchens is going to call his own plays. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the 7-8 to eight range just because I, I think it's hugely important that you have buy-in from your players, and he definitely seems to have that. Uh, and you know, it starts with the most important player on the roster. Um, I, I thought Baker's comments after the Baltimore game were kind of interesting and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I, I felt like if I was reading the tea leaves there, his, his message was, 
I I wouldn't mind if Greg Williams was back. I will be pissed off if Freddie Kitchens is not. Um, so having your quarterback on board is certainly a good thing. Um, but I'm a little surprised, as you know, we kind of discussed earlier, the number of coaching positions that are going to need to be filled. And, you know, and I think that again points back to why it was important to get this deal done now, um, because a lot of those good sought after assistants around the league, I think are going to start getting, you know, snatched up with all these other jobs being filled and, you know, eight head coaching positions open across the league. That's, that's a lot of turnover. So a lot of work still to be done, but um, it, it feels like this is a, you know, I, I, I feel good based on, where, uh, you know, what, what he was able to accomplish uh, when he was given a shot in the uh, the OC role. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. All I'm right. a little lower. I'm going to say I'm right around a, a six, which isn't much lower. But um, I'm with Craig. I don't, I don't like – generally, I don't like head coaches calling plays. Just I feel like there's so much shit going on during a game that they also need to be paying attention to that – they can't do – I don't think you can do both of them. Or it, I shouldn't say you can't, but it takes a very, very unique and, in my opinion, in most cases, experienced guy to be able to do that. Hey, Travis, um, I've already had this well. argument. I've already had this argument with myself, by the way, so I'm not <laughs> arguing with you. Um, but the the other thing about the head coaches calling their own plays, our experience with it most notably has been Hugh Jackson with Deshaun Kaiser and whoever – and uh, RG3 um, and Pat Shermer with Brandon Whedon. And I think that the idea of the head coach calling plays with Baker Mayfield, who understands how to read defenses and make changes at the line already in his rookie year, that's the only thing that gives me pause from just being like, no, 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 I don't like head coaches who call plays. But uh, generically, I don't like head coaches who call plays. Yeah, I guess that's... That's a fair point. It, it's entirely possible that we're just scarred from everything and <laughs> we want to do everything different forever. Um, and well, that really didn't work. We got to do Maybe we have the things. guys who can handle those things. Right. It can't really accept it. Maybe we have guys that can do that now. That's possible. Um, I'm also a little tentative to see how, how he fills out the staff. Have we heard, like, um, I guess I'll also point out we still haven't it's, it's been we heard this at like 11 o'clock in the morning and we still don't have an official Reese and brown which is kind of surprising yeah we got uh, a, an official goodbye from greg williams but right so we know he's not going to be back um but I, i'm interested to see how he fills out the staff have we heard and i'll admit i've been busy all day i haven't paid as much attention as i would normally um do we have do we have any rumblings about who he's looking at for the coordinator positions or anything like that? I know nothing. No, I I I, I was hoping Craig had something because I I'm in the same boat. I've heard nothing either. But that's um, instructive okay, because I think, I think if there was something, I would have heard something. Yeah, yeah that's true. Something would have come out. I think that'll give us probably a pretty good indication of you know how. And we've been saying, not necessarily us, but everybody seems like they've been in agreement that the Browns are, you know, maybe the number one or two job in the league, the open job in the league right now. Um, I think who he fills those coordinator positions with will tell us a lot about how 
the rest of the league really views that job. Um, if he's poaching some some pretty decent guys from other from other teams, then then maybe you know that perception was reality, and that's what everybody else is thinking as well. Um, and also, will probably say a lot about what the rest of the league thinks of the kitchen tire specifically, right? And I think that's that's going to boost my confidence quite a bit if 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 they're able to knock those two uh, assistant positions out of the park as well. Yeah, I, I'd like that angle. Um, let me ask you guys this. Were you surprised that Mike McCarthy and maybe to a lesser degree, Josh McDaniels ended up being pretty much complete non-factors in the Browns coaching search? It kind of made me happy with regard to Josh McDaniels. I mean, I, I, I've told everybody on my podcast, uh, on the, the Waiting for Next Year podcast, and also at the site that I follow the Colts really closely because my wife is from Indianapolis, even though I, I am not a two fan. I don't have two teams. But um, what he did to Indianapolis should pretty much – I mean, if that doesn't bar you from consideration for head coaching positions for legitimate – teams for at least three to five years i don't know how you interview that guy and sit across the table negotiating from him and feel comfortable like i think it's a non-starter personally yeah it's also pretty awesome to see that the colts uh, settled for frank reich who looks like he's a great coach right like that there's a striking positive and he bears a striking resemblance to my cross-country coach but uh from high school but that's neither here nor there (laughs) Jerry Hipley, your uh, your doppelganger is coaching in Indianapolis. Um, McCarthy was the one that I think I'm more interested in how this has played out for him because it felt like so many people were just automatically connecting dots because of his history with Dorsey prior to Cleveland that once he became available, it was – a done deal that he would just end up with the Browns. And I always felt like that was a little too convenient. And I felt like that was kind of selling Dorsey short in terms of, you know, this isn't a guy that has struck me as someone who's just, you know, into uh, cronyism. And he he is someone who wants to, you know, do his homework. And um, I I just, I was going to be kind of surprised if it just was like, Oh yeah, that quickly, they just hand the job. To McCarthy. Having said that, um, I know things in Green Bay haven't gone particularly well, and it was probably time for him to move on from there. But he's got a pretty good resume, and I feel like he's been kind of trashed uh, around the league, and you know, by the the, the National Football guys um, in the media uh, is you know, not being very good. And it's, you know, you look at his record and the fact that he won a Super Bowl, um, he needs some work. I think he probably needs to change some things. But I feel like, you know, there was a point in time when people were writing Andy Reid off too. And you see what he's done in Kansas City. Although, you know, the real proof with them is going to come probably this weekend because, you know, as good as their last two seasons have been, the playoffs have been a, a different discussion. Um, I still feel like Mike McCarthy, if he's willing to tweak some things, could be successful again somewhere else. Am I off base there? I'll let Travis go. No, yeah, I don't think you're off base necessarily. Um, 
I'm sort of with you though. I, I didn't I didn't love the McCarthy idea on the surface because it kind of seemed like it was just oh he's got a Super Bowl. All right, we'll take him. Um, it wasn't necessarily whether he was a great fit here. And the, the thing that was weird is it seemed like everyone was talking about it like it was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to get hired like immediately, and right. then they didn't even bother interviewing him. Exactly. And so yeah, I don't I don't know what if everyone just had bad intel or if. Um, one of the things I heard today was like um, they were interested in McCarthy, but they wanted him to keep kitchens and he wasn't willing to do that. So they scrapped the whole thing, which I don't know, would be kind that of weird. That sounds um, like throwing darts. I, I, I don't know. And it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like a Dorsey thing either. I don't, I don't know that I buy that. Um, no. And on top of that, McCarthy if you really, as their head coach, they shouldn't care. And if you really wanted to kind of, uh, pave the way for kitchens it would have made more sense to bring in an elderly bruce arians and have like a three four-year plan um of bruce arians coming in with freddie kitchens taking over offensive coordinator and having assistant head coach duties and slowly moving like you 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 actually set up that plan but it, as it turns out it seems like they just liked kitchens enough to go to go to it right now as opposed to those interim measures all right, since you brought up Bruce Arians, can I just throw something out here for a second? I feel like he's a little bit of a bullshitter. You know, he, he at the C, when yeah. CBS oh, introduced <laughs> when CBS introduced him as being on, you know, joining one of their commentary teams this year, he was asked, you know, if you ever wanted to get back into coaching, and I don't think anybody would have held it against him if he said, "Yeah, I, I could see myself coaching it today." And he was like, "No, I'm done. I'm done." And then the Browns job came open and it was like, yeah, I'd come back for the Browns game and they were for the Browns job and was pretty public in campaigning for it. And that, that's the only job I would come back for. And now, what was it today? He was being introduced with the Bucks, and yeah, we, I can win a super, you know, we could win a Super Bowl with Jameis Winston. And I mean, okay, that one, I guess you kind of have to say that he's your quarterback, but um, Jameis Winston's rookie contract is coming up after next season. And I just can't see that being a guy that I'd feel real great about um, giving a second contract to, knowing what the going rate is for quarterbacks, having been through what Tampa's been through with him. So um, yeah, I, I don't I know. Bruce Arians, I'm not sure I'd be hitching my last ride to Jameis Winston. Right, right. That's that. That's where I'm going with that. And it, it was. It's an odd fit. I feel like for him to go there and. Um, it just the, the whole like romantic notion of him, you know, being a former offensive coordinator here. There was a time where it, it probably would have made a lot of sense to, you know, give him the head coaching position for the Browns. But um, now I, I, I don't know. It, this maybe, maybe a little uh, will be proven wrong here, but I'm, I'm not entirely heartbroken that it didn't come together to bring him in. Uh, See, I'm, to, a, I'm to, a Bruce Arians fan. Um, I think I that- was until like the last two weeks and and how this has kind of unfolded dude he's just a guy you're you're putting too much into it he's he's just a guy don't you know like some wishy-washy people in your own life like who are really good at something and they they think they can move on but then they can't move on you know all of a sudden they're back playing video games after they said no i'm i'm over it i'm i'm done with it i i'm too old to play video games and i mean he's just he's just a human like the rest of us and he probably meant it when he said it when he started the TV gig, and then he meant it when he said it about the Browns. And and he's just a wishy-washy elderly man who happens to be a really good football coach. 
you know, I do know people like that in my life, although none of them could make uh, those hats that he wears uh, look as cool <laughs> as he does. So um, he does have that going for him. We have but, this idea that people like famous athletes or, or people in the media are not just like normal people. And we know they are. They're just they're just goofy, weird people who have goofy, weird human motivations like the rest of us. They're we're pretty transparent beings. That's fair. And, you know, I, I'm somebody that's probably gone overboard in defending LeBron in his right to, like, say something at one point and then, you know, go in a different direction later on. So, you know, I, I shouldn't be holding other people to the, you know, different standards, I guess. But you're right. Front. You're right. You're right about him in Tampa, like where where we were talking about. It's not as bad as like Pat Shermer and Brandon Whedon or Hugh Jackson and Cody Kessler. But Bruce Arians is not if he's going to succeed in Tampa, it's not going to be with Jameis Winston. It'll be it'll be his downfall. Yeah. Um, just to kind of bring it back to McCarthy for a second, I don't know if this is necessarily in his personality, but I feel like he's somebody from a, a PR perspective and image rehab could benefit greatly from going and, and doing TV for a year or two, either joining a studio show or taking Arians' Aaron's job on that CBS broadcasting crew and being the guy that's making quips and um, you know, sprinkling in a little bit of knowledge here and there and, you know, kind of changing the whole narrative about who he is right now. Cause I feel like uh, he has taken a beating, uh, especially in the last year or two. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I don't know if, and I, I don't know that it's totally fair. I think he's taken so much heat and I, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably a guy that's not incredibly easy to coach for as good as he is. Um and, I mean, they've obviously had issues elsewhere, but we've seen it before. There's not many coaches that can stay somewhere for, you know, a decade and be consistently really good every year. Um, they're few and far between. So, it, it, eventually, they all just sort of wear out their welcome, right? And that's I think that's what we saw there. I don't necessarily mean think that that means he lost it and he's not a good coach anymore. Uh, just sort of means that, and truthfully, that roster's not very good. They've spent so much money on Aaron Rodgers, and they haven't surrounded him with much. Um, so I don't know that we should really even be surprised that he didn't, um, you know, that it sort of fizzled out there like it did. All right, boys. Any other thoughts on the Browns, Freddie Kitchens, Mike McCarthy, Josh McDaniels, Baker, Dorsey, anybody else that we've talked about tonight? Did anyone think it was funny that um, – there was a report that like they were FaceTiming Baker in during interviews. I thought it was a little bit odd to be honest with you. Like, yeah. um, I mean, especially from the perspective of, well, did they FaceTime in miles Garrett? Uh, how does miles feel about that? What about Denzel Ward? He was number four pick overall. Um, it, he's it just probably still in a dark room under, uh, concussion protocol so yeah he's, he's off, i mean off we all know that baker mayfield in the quarterback position is the most important thing on the team and all the guys in the locker room know that too but outwardly acknowledging it is like it's one of those things that we always hear about in new england where bill belichick reads the riot act to tom brady all the time um because it's like a it's like a wink nod acknowledgement that even though we know we're going to pretend like everybody's on the same level yeah. 
Right, if he's going to talk that way to Tom Brady, it's like, yeah, he's being fair to everyone when you get cussed out for it. I'm, I'm, I'm not the first person that's going to make this observation. I saw somebody else say this, and I apologize because I can't remember who it was. But had this been the Cavs coaching search and we were getting reports that LeBron was being FaceTimed in uh, to have a word or, or you know, know be part of the interviews or you know whatever the role that baker had was what do you think the reaction would have been uh especially in light of the whole lebron is the real gm of the Cavs trope that we would have loved it lebron would never facetime and he's too important (laughs) yeah doesn't does he still do samsung commercials that well you know what (laughs) damn it you beat me to it (laughs) can't can't facetime Nope. Poke the hole in your theory already. <laughs> all right. Well, case closed. Um. All right. That's. Uh, but no, you're right. We we'd be crushing them for it, or a lot of people would. I, I wouldn't be. I think most of us, and I'm not even say we'd be apologists for him, but that's kind of the way it should be. If you acknowledge that the face of your franchise is as a player, you know, is a very um, dominant alpha personality who if your coach doesn't get along with him it's just not going to work if you can acknowledge that I don't think that's unreasonable I think that's fair and you should sort of expect that and in that same vein why wouldn't you then consult that person on it if LeBron James had wanted sense. Rich Paul to be the coach I would have supported it yeah and and my point in saying you all of that have, you, would, uh, you would add questions about it <laughs> Oh God! I mean, but, but but I'm with you. You you sort of just take it. But let's be honest, LeBron is a lot more important to every team he'll he's ever been on or will ever be on than Baker ever will be. One hundred percent. Yeah, and and I I'm saying all of that not because I would have had a problem with LeBron in that role. But just to point out that the talking head shows that fill up hours of programming on ESPN and the other networks would have had an absolute field day with that. That would have been Santa Claus down the chimney on Christmas Day um, with every present that you ever asked for as a child. Yeah, Skip Bayless would have been going crazy on LeBron the way Cowherd goes crazy on uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. By the way, was it Cowherd today that that lumped Freddie Kitchens in with all of the other uh, good-looking coaches that the, the shreddy? <laughs> yeah, thing? yeah. Talking about his cheekbones, I think <laughs> Freddie Kitchens is more about T-bones than cheekbones. But um, yeah, come on, I, I don't know. <laughs> all right. The, also, will a couple side notes here. Will Kitchens stick with the dog pound hoodie? Will the team shop restock those hoodies? I actually saw somebody in my neighborhood the other day walking around with one of them, and I almost stopped him to ask where he got it because I don't see those even being listed as out of stock anywhere. I don't see them being sold anywhere. They were for sale. They were 125 bucks. actually. Oh. They were really expensive for a sweatshirt. Um, I did see them for sale once, like, Freddie started getting. I remember noticing them. Um, like early on in the season on a website. Yeah, and, I think it, every it was either team got or on the team shop. Well, and just then, think, if we were Steelers fans, we could wear them to church. 
Oh, hey Boom. Before you put in, yeah, put in the uh, put in the rim shot there. <laughs> now every every team got those. That they just happen to pick a good slogan for the Browns one. Like I've seen Eagles coaches with "Fly Eagles Fly" and uh, I, I don't know some of the other ones as well. But yeah, just like that that dude in Detroit with the backwards hat. I'm assuming Freddie's going to wear the exact same thing. Oh yeah, yeah Patricia. Yeah. Patricia, who had the balls to like call out some reporter for like not having good posture earlier in the season. <laughs> and then like, we find out he's like on backwards, you got a pencil in your ear, like for his laminated play sheet. Yeah. yeah. yeah what and then he's and then he's late is. to all his own meetings. So yeah. Oh, that guy. Uh might have dodged a bullet there. Um all right. Feels like a good place to close up. What do you guys say? All right, do it. I dig it, man. Thanks so much for having me on, gentlemen. Yeah, Craig, thanks for joining us. Um, anything in the pipeline from you coming on uh, coming up on waitingfornextyear.com? I wish. No, I've I, I've taken to uh, really uh, filling up the Patreon page this year um, with content. So I've been spending all my time over there, and uh, I'm I'm planning on kind of rebooting the podcast a little bit this year getting back to some interviews because it it slipped a little bit in in 2018 as you guys know sometimes producing the show and booking guests is is uh the hardest thing in the world but if you set your mind to it you can actually do some things so i'm gonna recommit myself to that well i have enjoyed getting the patreon emails uh those are always a nice little surprise when those pop up with uh the, uh, the quick hitters that you you throw in there, those are always a nice little bonus for people. So um, if you support waitingfornextyear.com and you, uh, you're you on the site regularly, uh, do yourself a solid and uh, go sign up for the Patreon as well and uh, kick them a couple bucks a month. Um, as for us, you can go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Stitcher and the TuneIn app, and uh, you can stream us on uh, waitingfornextyear.com as well. Uh, our thanks again to Craig Lindell for joining us. Uh, for Travis Yuli, I am Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.